Hey, it's me, Elvis Mitchell, and you're listening to The Great Debasers on the Poster Atari Vintage Radio Network. Jeremy Philip Galen. <laughs> oh, well. Oh, boy. Feels so good. You know, as Heidegger said, there are only certain <laughs> times in life when you really feel like you're in the world. And this, mm. is this is one of them. Jerry, you sound so healthy. So You sound so happy. You sound so centered. What's, what's going on over there? I went for a run, Will. Uh, oh, my God. And uh, I have a, a beautiful girlfriend and a, and a spayed puppy sleeping in my bed, a post-op puppy. That's insane. What what does what does a pre-op puppy look like? <laughs> like any other puppy. Oh, okay. But it's it's um yeah it's really interesting that we're recording a podcast about the movie that we're recording a podcast about today. Go because, on. Well, this morning. At, what is today? Because you know time really does uh, have another another a life of its own here on the Great Debasers. I feel like we're living in an alternate today, reality. Today, today for our listeners is October thirty first, Halloween. Uh, oh, today is uh, we're wait record is today October thirty first or recording on to, October thirty first? To, today for our listeners is Halloween. Right, today o- for so October thirty first. Right, thirteenth. Yeah. Oh, today is October thirteenth, right, which okay. is the reverse of thirty one, and oh, also the day God. that. Uh, Charlemagne, who goes by <laughs> Charlie, that's my three-month-old beagle. She was spayed this morning, and I just well, oh, I wow, I cannot. Congratulations to Charlie. Thank you. Can't um, tell you how interesting this conversation is going to be because <laughs> I want you to just right now on the fly. I want yeah. you to c- connect the dots between mm. a canine. Mm. Uh, what's it called? A um, feline. Uh, a f- no, okay. Oh, okay, what's the operation called? Ah, it's hysterectomy. No, hi- hysterectomy. Hysterectomy. Yeah. Canine ovarian hysterectomy. Mm. What's the connection between that and the movie that we're watching today? Um, I, well, I mean, is the is is Charlie shaped more like Rose McGowan or more like? More like Nev Campbell, or is it kind of a, a Drew Barrymore threading the needle in in terms of her look? Have you given away the movie that we're watching? Oh, sorry, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just teasing it. I don't know. Yeah, tease it more. Well, how are you? How's Studio South? Uh, Studio South as well, buddy. I I do apologize to to you and and more so to the the two to to three listeners for my uh, my tardiness and extreme laziness in, in, in terms of editing these these podcasts. Well, you've um, been busy. You, you're a professional. You're a father. I know, I know. But that's no excuse, Chair. That's, 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 that's nothing. I, I'm well. You know, I went up to uh, to Leo Carrillo this morning to uh, to shred some gnar. There was a mini swell. I don't know if you've heard, but uh, if you check surfline.com, you, you certainly will have heard. Um. Yeah. Woke up at at, at five thirty. Hopped in the in the Jeep Grand Cherokee. Uh, now, have you moved uh, east yet to join the other uh, mm, families colonizing Echo Park? You, you know, still in? Yeah. You know what? I I um I think we might put a pin in that uh discussion for the moment. For the moment. Um, just for some for some wife related and 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 really and really <laughs> surf related reasons, you know, Jared. Once once I move east, the surfing um, it's gonna be harder to come by. So it's it's it would be with an extremely heavy heart. So uh, not quite yet. Are there are um maritime maritime vessels allowed on on Silver Lake on, the, on, the on Sil- Silver Lake? Yeah, east of the four hundred five. I don't know. That's a great question. You know, uh, I don't know if you've seen the film Chinatown, but uh, that that one scene where Jack Nicholson is rowing the rowboat uh, that that's a maritime vessel uh, right in the heart of Echo Park, which is where I'd I'd probably be living. So there's one thing there, I suppose. Terminator Two, uh, you know, when he's on the motorcycle, that's the LA River, that's the East Side. There is patches of water. We saw Greece. That was also in the LA River, so it it, it comes and goes. Uh, not quite as consistent as as the Great Pacific Ocean, but why are so many movies set in California? I that's don't a great know. question. I'm not sure. Um, should we call in our our guest? Yeah, here? do it. Yeah, um, he's so smart. Uh, do, do you want to know how smart he is? How smart? Do you want to know what his, his Skype handle is? No. A Hoff at MIT, and I think it's at MIT and not <laughs> and not at MIT. But I, who's to say? I I, I didn't go. To, to any school quite like that. Um, do you want to um, do you want to dial him in or should I dial him in? I think you could. I, I yeah, I think you can handle okay. it. Also, the the the, the really uh, unpleasant thing about Alan Hoffman is not only is he 
an effing genius. He's like the nicest guy ever. So, you know, um, he's a dad too. He's a dad. He's like an extremely sweet human being. Um, hello, Alan Hoffman, the extremely sweet human being whose Skype handle reads atmit. Is that who we're speaking with? Uh, that's correct. How are you? We're so good. We're, we're so lovely. Where are you? Alan, it's, it's great to have you back. I just got to say, how are you, sir? It is so good to have you. I am very pleased to be speaking with you both tonight. Alan Hoffman is a is a tie that binds, is the thread that weaves. Do you remember the last episode? You remember the last time we spoke, Alan, in in this context? Yeah. So I want to say it was it was more than two years ago, right? <laughs> oh, is that Isn't impressive that or depressing? I don't know. Which uh, are we gonna go with this? It was uh, it was fall of. Uh, yeah, two years ago, 2013. Jesus 2013. Christ. I think I, we were both in a pretty dark place, Jer. I, oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think we were. How were you that, uh, in the fall of 2013, Alan? Uh, I think I was all right. You okay. know, it was not, uh, you know, it was okay. Um, I will <laughs> say I'm pretty pretty impressed and uh, proud of you guys that uh, to keep it going this long. You thought, you well, thought we'd give up. You were sure we'd give yeah, up. Right? Sure, yeah. <laughs> no, I was, I was supremely confident that the, that the listenership would only grow. But uh, I thought, you know, you guys What does that your... have to do with us continuing the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I thought with your various interests and your, you know, successes in life that this would be something that you'd, you know, would go by the wayside. But, mm, well, how I mean, little... yeah, sorry, yeah Will's here. dropping the ball. No, I'm saying Will is yeah. dropping the ball yeah, Will's a little dropping bit. Will's dropping the ball, yeah. But it's okay. We love him and he will pick the ball up again. <laughs> that's how it works. <laughs> now, Alan, where are you coming to us from? Because, you know, I'm coming from Studio South, which, as I said, just south of, of Leo Carrillo, where I shredded some gnar this morning. Jared's coming from Studio North, I think just, just north of Menlo Park. Is that right? That's right. Um, well, actually, Hayes Valley. Hayes Valley, Hayes Valley. <laughs> and then, uh, Alan, where are you coming to us from? So I am coming to you from, I guess, Studio Midwest. Um, mm. I am in uh, temporary, temporary housing um, in the lovely city of Chicago, Illinois, the city of my birth. No shit. No um, shit. Having recently moved here only six weeks ago or so. Wow. How's that going? How's the move? It's, uh, well, moving is a shit show, but, you know, it's <laughs> like, it, you know, it's been okay. Uh, we're in this kind of, kind of terrible apartment while we're renovating a house. And oh, shit. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, the, 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 you, you know, the renovation is supposed to take X. Uh, number of months and then it turns out to be like 2x and so we're going to be here for a little while i have a question when you, when like you're admit talk i don't know any of how that, how that stuff works. when you're when you're fixing up a home do you ever think about how your you know your daughter might be like making uh popcorn on the stove uh one day in the future and then and then you all and of your wife like, are out to dinner or, yeah, yeah. And, and you've built this life for yourselves yeah. and then you know just this random shit happens and your house is turned into chaos but before, before, all the time so I'm so sorry. Before before we address that question, Alan, you said you were born in Chicago. Were you were you born a a, a White Sox fan or a Cubs fan or do you know? So I am a longtime fourth generation White Sox fan. Okay, I only uh, ask because it's Tuesday, October thirteenth, and I I you know I'm not a big I'm not a news junkie or, or whatever, but I was watching television and I caught some news about the local Chicago baseball team that you know. Yes. 107 year old news i don't i don't know um if well, do you do you know what happened yeah yes 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 they uh, Did uh we win? To, to my chagrin the cubs uh uh beat the who beat the car uh the cardinals, the cardinals. The cardinals. today and are on their way to the lds um i'm hoping well it's good for Chicago. I got a lot of friends that are Cubs fan. They're all very nice people, uh, <laughs> despite their moral failings. Uh, but you know, I remain a steadfast White Sox fan. You're a good man, Alan. That that your White Sox fandom is 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 the, like like the seventh best thing about you. <laughs> um, guys, I mean, Jared, do you want to like you were teasing? You were setting this up. I'll I'll go to the wiki at some point. But what are we watching? This I mean, 1996. It's this the year, year on the Great Debate. Oh, what, what a good year! Oh, what 96? Isn't Clueless 96 as well? It's reference. Yeah, I mean, we're watching the one and only. Scream by Wes Craven. Scream by Wes Craven and and Kevin Williamson, the uh, the, the writer. Alan, um, you chose this film, so maybe you should before we uh, you know revert to the Wikipedia. Uh, why don't you why don't you uh, address exactly what's going on with this film, where you came to it, uh, why why you wanted to talk about it? Like, tell us everything. Sure. Um, 
so, you know, I was thinking like, you know, last time we, uh, you know, what it was two years ago now, we spoke about uh, Ghostbusters, which was a, a movie from my childhood that I loved and that I knew I would love on rewatching. And, and uh, it certainly didn't disappoint. Um, this one was one that I kind of thought would be fun uh, with Halloween coming up. Um, and, uh, you know, I loved it when I was in, you know, high school, I think I was a freshman in high school and I thought it was so innovative and smart and like cool. But I kind of had this feeling in the back of my head that when I went back and rewatched it, that it would all feel a little bit flat. And so, you know, kind of taking the other look at it, you know, of what's a movie that I have really fond memories of that maybe, you know, didn't hold up or wouldn't hold up. Um, that was kind of the impetus for uh, for why I wanted to watch it. You know, it's easy to kind of look at great, you know, kind of classic movies and, and go back and rewatch them and talk about how great Clueless, they were. Clueless, White Man, sure, of course, <laughs> yeah. like you know stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but I thought that it would be interesting. Um, I also have a you know what I think of. I know your readers really want to hear about my or your readers, your listeners really want to Someday, hear about Alan, my, our media <laughs> empires. One step. Someone's going to type. I'm going to pay someone to type up <laughs> to every type one of these episodes <laughs> and turn it into a huge coffee table. Book. <laughs> um, I'm sure they want to hear about my life, but I have a, a fairly, uh, what I think of as a fairly interesting uh, first viewing. Um, but I would like to hear about your first viewings as well. Well, should we, should we revert to the Wikipedia real quick? But real quick, Alan, what, didn't you have a second choice? Maybe we can like tease two years down the line from now. What was your second? Second choice. Well, hopefully it's not two years down the line. But uh, my second choice was going to be Rushmore. Uh, uh, Just to hear that word spoken aloud. Um, A movie that that you know, not to tease, but uh, (laughs) when I first saw it, I didn't quite like it. But now, if I go back and and rewatch it, I'm sure that I you know will have different take on it. Especially you know, I don't know if you want to do a little podcast, a little a little project with me called the Great the Other Great Debasers. I feel the same way about Rush. Oh my god! Uh, I don't even know either of you. Okay, let's let's just move on because I'm going to get yeah, very upset very quickly. Let's, later. Yeah, let's just focus on the now. Um, okay, to, to revert to the Wikipedia, Scream. That is what we're watching. Scream, a, a, a 1996 film, not the television series of the same name that's that's current right now. Scream is a 1996, and this is a long intro, Jer. So buckle up. Scream <laughs> is a 1996 American slasher film, and you better believe that's a that's a hyperlink. Written by Kevin Williamson and directed by Wes Craven. Rest in peace. This that's I, I add parenthetically. The film stars Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, Drew Barrymore, and David Arquette. Uh, I would have we, we got to edit these at some point. We we should do a live Wikipedia editing session at some point. Released on December twentieth. Wow, Christmas movie. Fucking Dimension, Dimension Miramax. We got, we should call Scoop Washington. There's a whole backstory to this. We should prank Scoop tonight. This actually. Scream bankrolled most of Miramax through Dimension. That's a whole thing. Anyway, released on December 20th, 1996, Scream follows the character of Sidney Prescott Campbell, a high school student in the fictional town of Woodsboro, California, who becomes the target of a mysterious killer known as Ghostface. Was that in the movie, by the way? Was never. He known as no, Go- never once. God damn Wikipedia. Other main characters... Uh, in- I, I beg to differ. Uh, 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 there was she she refers in- to him as Ghostface. Right, as not- Mr. Ghostface. Yeah, uh, okay. Like not- okay, but like uh, sarcastically, like that was like a tossed-off improvisational thing, or was that in the well, script? It was. I think it was in the script, okay. but, you know, uh, uh, the, the lovely and talented... Rose McGowan uh, refers to him as as Mr. Ghostface at one point. We'll speak about Rose McGowan at length uh, later. I hope so. Our main characters include Sydney's best friend Tatum. the, The names. Kevin Williamson, my God, we got to have him on the podcast. Other main characters include Sydney's Tatum Riley, Rose McGowan, Sydney's boyfriend Billy Loomis, Skeet Ulrich, Ske- Billy's best friend Stu Mocker. Now, Jer, I'm no uh, germophile or whatever you call a German speaker. Is is Mocker? Is that? Is there anything? Is there any? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it I sounds like mock, like the speed uh, yeah, of playing, like a ra- or making. I'm a lot more interested in Sydney and her and sobriquet Sid, <laughs> which, as we all know, is an off rhyme for sin. But I mean, I'll give that. Yo, well, well, hold on. That film geek Randy Meeks, Jamie Kennedy, last seen on The Great Debasers in uh, Romeo and Juliet, uh, that first shootout scene in the gas station, of course. Deputy Sheriff Dewey Riley Arquette and news reporter Gail Weathers Cox. The film combined comedy and whodunit, and that's in quotes, and I can I can click that as well. Mystery with the violence of the slasher genre to satirize the cliche of the horror film genre popularized in such films as Halloween and Friday the 13th. 
The film was considered unique at the time of its release for featuring characters who were aware of real horror films and openly discussed the cliche that Scream attempted to, to, to subvert. Okay, there's a whole, a whole more of this, you know, uh, Dimension, Weinstein Brothers, uh, face censorship is based on real life. How much did it make? How much money did it make? It did, you know, honestly, less than I thought it would. $173 million, but I, I don't think that takes into account the DVD. I mean, this is one of the great DVDs. Speaking of Rushmore, if you like this Rushmore fucking Fight Club, what were the great DVDs? Uh, this was one of them. Am I wrong on this? Boogie well, Nights. Uh, will this be a thing of the past? Well, DVDs. The Guy Ritchie thing. movies. The Guy Ritchie movies. Anything sure. there was a poster for in our dorm room. In college, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. You were saying, Joe, about the. Oh no, I'm just wondering. Is that like already a thing in Hollywood? Where you talk about like the DVDs? Like we don't watch, we don't get DVDs anymore. We're all streaming. Is that is that where we are? Uh, I think we were there about ten, ten years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know. I I still get Netflix DVDs. There's so many movies. No, you, can't. you don't. Yeah. Oh, I do. Do you really? Yeah, you can't get Fair. you can't get it all. You're such a good you're such a good great debaser. A G, you're the a best. No, well, no, well, I want to make up with you publicly. You're <laughs> you're, you're a great great debaser. Uh, What's this boy. movie about? I because I need to I need to share a, a Slavoj Žižek moment. Alan, eventually. why don't you? Why don't you but I want Alan to go first. Yeah, yeah, Alan. Alan's smarter than anyone. Why don't you tell us what's going on? Well, so okay, so I should start by saying that I am not a a horror movie aficionado by any sense of the word. Like, in fact, Which means I you am, really are one. Everyone, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Everyone who's like saying that. you're bad at ping pong. And, well, no, I'm pretty good at ping pong. Um, <laughs> no, uh, you know what I should say, and I, I don't know if I should say this on the air, but like, I'm kind of a scaredy cat. Like, all of the thrasher, kind of slasher thriller movies of the, you know, late 80s, early 90s, like, they all, I was always too scared to watch them. Alan, uh, we have a very small segment of our popular, of our audience who's, who's single women. Most of them are married off right now, but all of them right now are listening very closely to what you have to say. I think, I think you've, you've convinced a number <laughs> of our, our single women listenership to, to keep tuning in. Go ahead. Sorry. So, so I didn't, so I don't come at this with the kind of, you know, encyclopedic knowledge that maybe other, you know, fans would. Um, I really, for some reason, I, I wanted to see this movie, you know, when I was a, a younger, a younger man, I wanted to see this movie, despite, you know, knowing that it would scare me and probably give me nightmares, because it looked <laughs> so, you know, because I was, you know, young and, and pretentious, and it looked like, mm. you know, it was meta and postmodern, and, and it was an interesting take. Um, and it had Nev Campbell, who at the time was one of the, you know, front runners in the future Mrs. Alan Hoffman contest. Um, <laughs> Alan, and so- I, we, have to, we have to unpack that a little bit because I'm really on the other side of the fence. I mean, if Rose McGowan and Nev Campbell walked into a room, what, what are we even talking about here? No, so, so you're right. Looking back, like when I watched it this time, I was like, all right, so I kind of made the wrong choice. On that. <laughs> but. I, I don't know. I was kind of enamored uh, uh, with Miss Campbell, uh, having first seen her in Nickelodeon's "Are You Afraid of the Dark?" Um, <laughs> shout out to anybody who used to watch Snick as a as a young man. Uh, but so it, so it had her, and it looked interesting. And I kind of you know thought, okay, I could probably handle the the slasher violence for you know whatever the two hours is to to see this movie. Um, so I don't have that kind of like you know I'm not the Jamie Kennedy character who's kind of the stand-in for the audience who knows all the plays and, and, you know, has all the rules and knows it all. Um, I kind of came in a little bit fresh, um, more from that side of the, of the spectrum. A, a, Tar- a Tarantino style stand-in that Jamie Kennedy, 96 right. post, post uh, Tarantino. Anyway, go ahead. So you, but you, 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 uh, you were okay. You thought you were going to be scared, but no, but so, so I wanted to see it and, uh, you know, it was, it, it can be a legitimately scary movie. Like the first oh, yeah. scene, especially, yeah, is the, kind the of the first five minutes is not uh, like well, self conscious or ironic, except for the trivia no, part. Except for the it's, popcorn <laughs> she's making. Fine, fine, fine. But you're scared. It's scary. No, no, it's no, no, no. That's, that's the brilliance that it's actually scary and also self conscious. It's incredible. Yeah, the opening scene, like, and I'm rewatching, like, this is kind of a masterclass in uh, like yeah. building suspense, you know, showing her. What I really liked about this movie, you know, I don't want to get too deep into it, but like, they show there's people always walking around in the interiors. And so you get a real sense for the space inside these houses, especially in like the first scene, she's walking around the house. You kind of get a feel for where she is. So when things go Mm. wrong, you know where she's going to run. Same thing happens in Sydney's house when she gets attacked. Like you see her walking through the whole house basically. And so you get a feel for that geography, um, which I think is really cool. Cause then when they like tighten up and show like the heightened, you know, tension and and the, the lack of perspective, you kind of understand where she could be going, where she is going and all of those. 
those things. So it's really like, uh, you know, it, it's pretty impressive uh, filmmaking. Alan, a little, a little filmic technique there. There's a lot of like long takes. What I think you're talking about is that the camera doesn't cut as they follow her down hallways and through passageways. Usually that's a, that's a uh, signifier for you can't get out of the shot. You're stuck in the moment. You're stuck with the character. You're stuck with the tension. Uh, you know, recent uh, Great Debasers viewing um, Boogie Nights, that great scene with uh, William H. Macy when he takes the gun out, you're not going to get out of that shot. You're, right. You have to stay there until he fucking shoots himself in the head. Yeah, ex- <laughs> exactly the same uh, same move. No question. It's it's great. I don't know. Um where did you first see? So, okay, so you first saw it then. Jared, where did you first see this film? You know, honestly, I think, um, I don't know that I had a complete, it's one of these sort of partial watchings where, like, you know, I knew this movie, I knew the garage door scene mm. with Tatum and the thing, but I, I'm not sure I really went from, you know, Alpha to Omega uh, ever. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm really glad I did. I'm really glad I had the chance to because it's 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 been so long since I've contemplated a facet of the 90s, which I want to invite you all to go to with me right now, which is uh, the way that the 90s uniquely moralized about sex and abstinence education, which ca- which may cause you all right now to, to Google Joss, Joss, Joycelyn, Jocelyn Elders. Do you remember who that was? Jocelyn that's Elders. An e and an Elders. She, was, she was the Surgeon General under uh, Bill Clinton. Okay. And in 1994, according to Wikipedia, she was invited to speak at the United Nations Conference on AIDS asked whether it would be appropriate to promote masturbation as a means of preventing young people from engaging in riskier forms of sexual activity. She replied, I think it is a part of human sexuality and perhaps it should be taught. And, and it was like pilloried on all the mass media and Clinton had to let her go. It caused a controversy and a, and a Democratic president had to fire his Surgeon General because, because Clinton, Clinton, the most loyal, non-political <laughs> yeah. guy ever. Yeah, yeah a Shocking few, years, a few years later, this would be absurd. Basically, my point is, this movie is about nothing other than a, 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 a late, uh, um, you know, century American skittishness about sexuality. I, I wanna, I, I would, if I had any knowledge, I would push you that it's uniquely '90s. But speaking of that first scene, yeah, I mean the whole thing's about sex. Uh, the the, uh, the the shots of the knife being inserted and, and exerted uh, while the parents are home. Um, obviously, the weird interplay of the boyfriend. Uh, I mean, but not even on those. Those are all beautiful points on the symbolic mm, level. Mm, I think even mm. just on the, like, the literal level, mm. this movie is about like the slut shaming of the mother in the right. suburbs right. or whatever, and you know, and the the potential the like psychological impact on the daughter and her lack of intimacy with her boyfriend and manipulation around loss of virginity, and and these are all like these were raging topics in. Not just academic quarters in the. This is like the, this was the in the political arena, right? I, international the quarters, the UN. Apparently. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, and this, you know, I think that this movie kind of falls prey to one of the kind of classic '90s tropes, or at least what I think of as the '90s tropes of you know the complete desert between anything you know, further than kissing before sex, <laughs> right? It's like, those are the only two activities that a young person could possibly engage in is yeah. like, you know, kissing, you know, being rebuffed when you try and, you know, uh, uh, field up your girlfriend's thigh and then like sex and that's it. They And they, um, and they even uh, peg it to a, a, a rating, an, an MPAA rating schema, uh, you know, the, the horror film, the... NC seventeen, PG, PG thirteen. You know, there's this like, there's a, there's clearly a kind of animus against the institutionalized control over our sexual imaginations. Was this all about AIDS, by the way? Like, I feel like I, I really feel like the, you know, it's the sixties and seventies were in like a very, very different place in the eighties and nineties when it came to sex. And like, where do we stand now? How does this all work? I, you know, I, I mean, I want Alan to talk about this, but my two cents is the nineties was the was when the Christian right re- like regained its you know kind of political power, and uh, when it was on the rise, they took a stranglehold on on um, you know sex is an easy topic to get parents into conservative social policy. And one of the this is a quote from 1994 in January. 
Jocelyn Elders again, quote, we really need to get over this love affair with the fetus and start worrying about children. Hey, that's a good one. Amazing. That's good. Yeah. No, and, and listen, like while we're and the reason this movie works so well, if we if we follow Jamie Kennedy's lead here, is that the horror films exist. And Alan has a, a number of theories which we're going to explore after the first commercial break. Uh, but horror films exist to punish sin, or to, or to punish, or or, or to or to um to animate and, and to personify a certain fear. And, and if the fear is sex, uh, uh, you know, and if, if if you can't have sex without dying in a horror film, that's it. That's that, it. That, that, that that's how that's yeah. how this this film works. Um, let's take a brief musical interlude. Um, I am thrilled to have to be back on the air with Alan Hoffman and to explore his beautiful brain and the seven to nine uh, theories he has. I'm sure Jeremy will interject with certain Zizaki and flair. Uh, but we'll be back on the Great Debaters. Take a little walk to the edge of town and go across the track Where the viaduct looms like a bird of doom as a ship and crack Where secrets lie in the border fires and the humming wires Yeah man, you know you're never coming back Across the square, across the bridge, past the mills, past the stacks on a gathering storm comes a tall, handsome man in a dusty black coat with a red right hand. And we're back. All right, Alan, you wrote a lengthy email this morning to Jeremy and I, which was extremely impressive for just his general uh, depth of thought, which Jeremy and I are not known for. Um, <laughs> do you mind just kind of running through all of your thoughts on this movie? Because there's some there's some good ones. Okay, well, I mean, you know, feel free to interject. I shouldn't shouldn't be lecturing. Um, so in in and you know, this is all just pontificating. Um, That's know, not allowed in the, on in the pretentious man. Not what this show's about. All we know how to do. <laughs> no, but so like you know, one of the reasons I really liked this when I was younger is like I was like, oh, it's you know, look at how smart we are. Look at how clever. It's also meta and also like you know, intertextual. Like we're talking about the movie that we're in and you know there's the one scene where Jamie Kennedy is on the couch and he's yelling at Jamie Lee Curtis and the television to turn around and then behind him is the killer and then they even take it one step further where then the people in the van are watching um, the killer watching Jamie watching Jamie you know and yelling at him to turn around <laughs> and it's like so when I was you know young man, I thought that was really innovative and I was like that's great and now it kind of seems a little bit tired basically like uh, all postmodern anything you're like wow right. when you first experienced it you're just like mind blown a narrative that's aware it's a narrative what the fuck and then now you look at it and you're like god that's so uh, you know really I, I, I was still pretty into it I really liked it <laughs> <laughs> well so what I thought is like the 90s you know so my main you know kind of way of attacking this movie I think um, you know that I had a couple out there theories but like the main the kind of main driver i think that the, the easiest most straightforward viewing is like through this line lens of you know irony and postmodernism um which by the time this movie came out in 96 you know like was i kind of think the dominant mode of looking at anything in in life certainly looking at art in life right like sometime in you know the late 80s early 90s this gen x you know gen x kind of generation um started to you think of started to view everything through that lens of detached you know irony kind of above it all um you know i always think of the uh i always think of the the scene in a kind of an early simpsons episode where like they're at a, a grunge show and one of the kids says this is awesome and one turns to him and says are you being serious he says, <laughs> i don't even know anymore <laughs> and yeah like, i mean alan not to inter- interrupt you but but uh on my the 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 microphone on which I record this uh, this show is, uh, is 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 placed on three books. The uh, the bottom is of course Ulysses by James Joyce. The middle is The Goldfinch by Donna Tartt, and the the top one is uh, Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace. Does that Infinite Jest or David Foster Wallace have anything to do with? Uh, any yeah. Of this stuff? So yeah. I'm a you know I don't know if I mentioned the last one. I'm a, I'm a big a big David Foster Wallace fan, um, and I think that. You know, it, to get beyond this movie, so you know, we start there, right? And this movie kind of takes that that um, lens and applies it to you know the horror movie genre um, very successfully. And 
uh, from everything that I've read, kind of revitalized the whole genre. You know, yeah. there was a string of um, kind of subpar spoof uh, horror. Well, spoof, but also like you know, subpar copycats like the "I Know What You Did Last Summer"s and the you know, and the which Jeep Kevin Williamson also wrote. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, but so, and and you know, when I was in the midst of of that, you know, high school late '90s experience, um, I kind of thought that this would be the dominant way that people would look at culture basically forever. You know, like that, that we had reached this, I know that that's silly to say, but like we had reached this kind of, you know, point where you couldn't, where like seriousness or, you know, kind of taking things seriously was so frowned upon and so looked down upon that it, you know, it would never make a comeback. Um, but I actually think that we've kind of gone beyond that. Um, and to, you know, it, it doesn't exactly relate to the movie, but like the way that we look at, you know, uh, David Foster Wallace had this very famous kind of essay on television where he mentions the new sincerity and he talks about how, you know, the literary, I, I actually wrote this down so that I could, I would have it at hand, um, for just such an occasion, um, <laughs> but you know, that, that, the, that the new literary rebels would, you know, eschew self-consciousness and hit fatigue and, um, they'd be, t- you know, too sincere. Um, and instead of risking, you know, disapproval or risking shock value as the uh, as the postmodernists did. Um, instead, they would risk the you know the rolled eyes and the cool smile and and the nudged ribs, um, and people saying, "Oh, how banal!" And I kind of think that we've come to that point, like that he was a little bit prescient in that, you know, that with the rise of like nerd culture and the rise of you know the internet and its ability to kind of cloister people who are enthusiastic, genuinely enthusiastic about a specific thing, um, cloister them together and get them more enthusiastic about it. You know, we've kind of moved beyond that ironic gaze at everything, right? Like, you know, yeah, we, we have earnest, it's true, we have earnest film again. I mean, do you guys see it follows? That's like a very earnest horror film. It's not, it's not postmodern or self-conscious at all. No, I think we've gotten there. I think that there is a there is a at least a strain in you know American culture that is saying no. Let's be more you know enthusiastic about things. Except the great debasers. I don't know if you've heard this podcast where criticize yeah. Iran. <laughs> no, I mean you know Facebook has a like button. It doesn't have a like uh, shrug button, uh, so to speak. Alan, did you see the DFW movie by the way? The the David. Foster I didn't. Movie? The end of the road. I read the book. Um, yeah, and me I too. kind of kind of excited to, to see the movie at some point i don't get to the theater as much as i, I used that to boy, the boys to uh, men in 1991 <laughs> yes yes yeah. we all did in fourth grade you know with with three feet apart you know swaying back and forth well, it, i did fourth grade anyway <laughs> it was not horrible uh uh kurt cobain movie with uh, michael pitt where he's in the room watching that. Um, okay, so we have that. Yeah, no, I, you know, if you ever listen to the, the Brady Sinellis podcast, he's always railing against the the millennial wussiness and, you know, that everyone loves everything. And, yeah, no, I, I think there's this weird way in which, uh, like, horrible public life, everything you do being on display has made people terrified of irony or, or I don't know, or maybe just like it's easier to embrace sincerity. I'm not really sure. I'm sorry. So that's one point. Uh, there are a, a number of more. <laughs> what else you got? All right. Well, what else you got? Um, so actually, so, you know, as you said, like all really great, the way I think of really great horror and really great, you know, that genre, both in film and in, you know, literature and whatever, and not to say this is or isn't, but, aspires to be about something else, right? Aspires to kind of, you know, palpitate or, or poke at some deep-seated fear that we have as a society, right? You know, you have famous examples like, you know, Dracula, which was, um, you know, a fear of, of, of syphilis. And then, you know, the uh, Frankenstein, which is a fear of the, um, you know, the coming, the, the Industrial Revolution, um, and, and, a, and a more modern one that I really like is, um, you know, I don't know if you guys have seen Cloverfield. Um, I'm kind of a J.J. Abrams fanboy, but, you know, that was very much like you could tell it was very much a fear of, you know, 9-11 and, and terrorism in that way. Um, well, and so, the one we saw was Jaws, right, Jerry? Jaws was the fear of the other or some goddamn thing that G-Jack said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it was the fear of Hollywood yeah, or something. Hollywood. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, yeah, fear of something. Yes, exactly so, right. That's like, what the monster trying, is, yeah. Right, trying to figure out what that is. And so, like, I was trying to figure out, you know, this movie, it doesn't lend itself 
I don't think it, it lends itself to an easy reading of that, but there is certainly some things going on in that vein that I'm trying to put together, and maybe you guys can help me out. Um, you know, one is the the relationship it has with technology. So, 1996, right? We're just kind of getting into the internet era, or certainly into the early cell phone era, where yeah, like, did you notice how she tries to call 911 from her computer? And she does work? call 911, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Uh, doesn't no, of course it does. Dewey shows up. Why do you think he got there? Oh, I thought I don't know. Um, I think that it was like you know, uh, uh, she was like she had this like it was like a program for for the deaf so that they could type you know their phone calls. I don't know why she had it, which is kind of weird. Yeah, I remember uh, my AOL login looking like significantly better than that. <laughs> like, did were, were you eyes like that far in the eighties? And I don't know. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Um. So yeah, so like there's something about technology about like being attacked over the phone, being attacked through the phone. Um, but Alan, to push you a little bit, so if we, if we like, yeah, just think about this out loud. If the monster is Ghostface, right, and Ghostface is supposed to represent everything that we fear or everything that's evil or, or whatever, it's even itself a symbol, right? It's like a, go, a ghost is. Yeah, just, it's, it's like it's, it's just a container a, for fear. But it's fear. like a super simple like mat like actually a mask actually a layer that a number of different people can wear like it's just it's just a it's just a um i don't know it, it, signifier it's, it's a signifier <laughs> yeah if i had to put it that way but 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 it's just a series of um of like codes or or or, or rules that as long as you know the rules of the horror movie game, you can put on this mask and you're the bad guy. I guess that's what the fear is that we that we lose all sensitivity. I don't know. Are, are we? Are, is the irony killing us? That's what's going on, right? The irony is killing us. We need to play tennis and go to an Alcoholics <laughs> Anonymous and whatever it is. We need to really, really get into something, you know, and genuinely love it. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's part of it. There's also like the so I hadn't thought about the mask aspect of it, but like. There's an anonymity to it, right? right? Just like there is an anonymity over the phone, right? Like this person can call you. It's in the first scene, it's kind of the most, you know, the most graphic representation. This person can call you and invade your life without you giving them permission. You don't have to let them in your house. You know, all you have to do a is cell answer phone. The you gotta phone, have a cell phone, right? Like, no, I mean, she has a landline, or I guess. No, but so. I'm saying it wouldn't be possible. None of this would be possible without those large and then occasionally <laughs> that that cool Nextel slip in the pocket, you know? Right. <laughs> Um, so there's something about that, like, and the, you know, the scene that I think is actually really cool is like when she goes to pick up the phone to call the police and before she can, you know, get the dial tone, she gets a call so that when she presses, you know, the, the, the button and this is Drew Barrymore, she's talking to the guy now. So it's like, she can't escape him. You know, the, 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 the technology is such that she is, you know, uh, beholden to his whims. Um, so I think there's something due and also like, and this might be random or maybe not, but like, I think three or four different people in this movie get hit in the face with phones, <laughs> like literally get punched in the face with phones. Um, and oh, here's so, a weird counter argument though. So people like bad guys are hitting good guys with phones, but then in the, the climax, the good guy kills the bad guy with a TV. What the hell is that about? <laughs> what the hell is that about? Yeah. You know? That's uh, revenge. It's the feminine revenge with the old <laughs> technology. You know, Marshall McLuhan says, Jared, about TVs. I don't know. Um, guys, okay, so, okay, so hold on. So, okay, so keep going, Alan. So, there's something about technology being aggressive, uh, again, with Marshall McLuhan, uh, <laughs> the, the hot, hot media. <laughs> It's just it's uh, it's encroaching on like everyday life, or perhaps you know the other one is that perhaps we're like afraid of, you know, we're afraid of being able to afraid of well, being of being. I think what you're what you're searching for is the movies. We're afraid of the movies influencing our lives. You know, like the 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 the, the sort of unstated enemy is the is the blockbuster the horror film that's brainwashing our kids and turning them into uh sorry i'm on this like parental 90s <laughs> but like yes, but you're don't, very you, protective don't you see how in the movie it's like you know she, she what does she say i mean we haven't done our favorite lines yet but something about um but this is life you know it's all a great big movie you mm -hmm. can't pick your genre there's a kind of like anxiety about about video games and film and film like making making everybody violent and I, I mean i think wes craven's point i think the point of this movie is to to expose for its absurdity its hilarity these conservative arguments that thus i think it's like a progressive oh, that's film. interesting because there is like a very clear both with the um 
with the sheriff, the old sheriff, and the high school principal, there's a very clear kind of kids these days moment where, like, yeah, totally. um, where the sheriff says something like, you know, 20 years ago, I would have said no way, but the kids these days, who the hell knows? Yeah, and how about and, the like intergenerational love affair between the 25 year old deputy and, and Courtney Cox? You know, he's like, I, the, my favorite line in the whole thing is, I'm 25, but I was 24 for a whole year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very clever. yeah uh, no, I think horror movies are like, inherently conservative no question or well, at least or at least moralistic because they, they play on on morals coming back to bite you in the ass when you don't follow them they're certainly moralistic and there's something about punishing the young right like we hate you know as i get older i, I look look down on those the high school kids and i you know i hate them for being young <laughs> and good looking and athletic and like you know being able to stay Alan, up past two, two out of three ain't bad baby <laughs> you're doing good um, no, but like, so there, there is something there about how we send these young, you know, these young kids to the slaughter, right? They, that, that they're created and then they're, you know, summarily dismembered by, uh, you know, a nameless, faithless force. And you know, yeah. we don't get any mourning, by the way. I was going to say the only mention of grief in the whole movie is this like sideways, half-assed attempt at like, uh, self, self-conscious psychology, whatever, you know, a year after her mother's death, she's like still grieving. Yeah, because we're desensitized yeah. to death. Or right. Yeah. I mean, and why are they like they're throwing like? I mean, I know that it's it's silly to like put yourself in their shoes, but like two of your classmates are killed. There's another attack on another one, and there's like people running around, and there's a killer on the loose. And your uh, response is to throw a party. Like, I don't think you know. It just seems you know, unless he's saying like, oh, these kids have no respect for life, and well, so they I, don't. I think that's it, right? Aren't they? Isn't the whole point that like. The you know especially the flab <clears throat> flabbergasted uh, guys like who's like oh my god the principal just got you know hung by the you know on the goalpost of the football field and they're all like cool cool let's go check it out yeah, let's go check it out before they cut him down so it's, it's so gross so Alan I'm gonna tie a lot of strings together right now and you might have to cut this in post but um, <laughs> on September 11th 2001. I was hanging out with my friends, Dan Lipton, and our, our mutual acquaintance, David Mandel. Uh, I went to Dan Lipton's house. I ate Chinese food. Uh, I watched on TV as things were burning, and I looked up in the sky. We're all from Washington, D.C., as F-16s were flying overhead. At about 8.15, 8.30, when it was clear that no more planes were flying into anything, we go over to David Mandel's house. We're sitting, and we're smoking whatever we're smoking. We're hanging out. And Dave says, "Is that high on 9 and, and, and Dave says, "You know what the real bitch of this is?" I say, "What's that, Dave?" They're gonna they're gonna cancel the Simpsons rerun tomorrow. <laughs> so to tie all that together, uh, Simpsons plus desensitized plus violence. We'll cut that in post, but that's uh, that'll be on the the uh, the outtakes. Let's let's take a well, brief I musical need, I need interlude. You, I need you on record. Did you get high on the night? Of let's take a brief musical interlude. Uh, let's re. I, I'm gonna refresh my. I'm not a, I live in California. I'm fine with. I like. I like getting high. I just. I would be really scared to do that. I'm impressed. Ah, well, the danger had passed, babe. The, the F-16s were flying overhead. I think we'd already discussed this. Our, our nation was safe. Um, I'm going to take a, a brief musical interlude. I'm going to refresh my drink. Uh, you guys can feel free to chat or you can refresh yours. I'll be back in uh, two shakes of a lamb's feather, wherever that goes. Be right back. Lamb's tail. Uh... Oh, the times have come. Why'd you move to Chicago? Uh, so I, well, I'm from here. Well, from around here. And my wife, uh, her family's from here. Um, between the time that we last spoke and this time, we, uh, we had another child. Um, and Mazel tov. Thank you. Why and, were you in Paris, by the way? 
<laughs> so we were in Paris. Actually, we were coming home. On a rainy again. day. Again, I'm sure that your listeners care so much. We were on our way back from a wedding in Tel Aviv, and we had spent uh, a, a week or a week and a half in Tel Aviv. And on our way back, we thought we, we didn't have the kids. We had left them with my folks. And we thought we would take a vacation, uh, you know, a small break from family and whatnot. And I had never been to Paris. Um, and so we, you know, decided to take three or four days and go see Paris. Uh, and it was delightful. Um, unfortunately, I, uh, towards the end of the trip, I got, I got pretty sick. Um, and then there was some other, you know, kind of, uh, there was like a family emergency thing, um, which is why, even though, you know, I, I, I would have loved to come meet up with you. Um, I should have known that you would be gallivanting around Paris. Um, you know, we were, Twitter, uh, Twitter brought us together. And, I know and- it's crazy. I mean, it only happens once in a decade that people can tweet at each other about different arrondissements of Paris and the weather, the microclimates in Paris. <laughs> all right, guys, I'm getting jealous of all this. You should just start your own podcast. Uh, we're back on The Great Debasers. Um, let's get into our favorite lines from the film. Uh, chock full, no doubt. Uh, Alan, why don't you start? What would you like so, to So, you know... I- I, I kind of like these, uh, you know, throwaway kind of almost, you know, aside lines. Um, you know, the one that I that I hadn't that I didn't remember that I really liked um, was towards the end. You know, there's they've had the big denouement. They know who you know who the killers are, and they're you know explaining uh, you know Skeet and and uh, Matthew Lillard. Uh, brief aside, can we just have a, like a nice little round of applause for Matthew Lillard? Like he uh, uh, he was si- the best silent movie star. Movie. Like born in the really, wrong era, really, you know, completely no bullshit. The best part of this movie, um, he's great, but he, but it's he's he can, so dro- he can drool on command. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> the weird thing about the guy is he is legitimately a great actor. Like, did you see uh, like the Descendants and stuff? Yeah, know, right. Maybe? It's really good. In that. Yeah, like my buddy Dean, like he's like a theater geek. Like he's like a great actor, and I think that he's good enough that in this thing he's like. I'm going to do this, like, completely self-aware, like, crazy teenage performance because that's what the movie is. I don't know. Yeah. Well, why'd you like him, Alan? Um, I thought he was the only person having fun. Yeah. Like, you yeah, know, yeah, he yeah, makes yeah. that, you know, he, he makes the, the joke. joke. He makes the joke and, you know, the liver, liver alone, um, <laughs> which I know is like, it's like a corny joke, but that's like great. he delivers it really well. And then... <laughs> There's the scene in the in the movie theater. He's giving Randy a hard time, and he's like doing this like over the top, like "Oh my God, you like Sydney?" And then he's like, "No, she would never like deadpan completely. No, she would never go for you." Um, <laughs> have you guys so seen SLC Punk, by the way? I have not. I know that he's uh, he's in it though, right? That's like his like star turn. I think it's a couple years before this. Uh, also in it is uh, Shooter McGavin from. Uh, from Happy Gilmore. No kidding. Yeah, it's a great. He plays Matthew Lillard's dad, if, if memory serves. It's kind of like a train spotting light uh, about mm. uh, Salt Lake City and punks therein. Uh, it's really good though. All right, so we like Lillard. Um, Doesn't are- like Lillard. So they're at the end, and um, you know they're 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 taunting and tormenting Sid um, about how they're going to kill her and frame her father, and she says something like, "She says fuck you." And then Skeet says back to her, no, 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 we already played that game, remember? You lost. Which I think, mm, like, I didn't remember the, I didn't remember the you lost part, and that's the really gross part. It's really gross. Because he, like, the whole movie, like, from scene one, you know, we're like 30 seconds into meeting his character, and he's already pressuring her into having sex. Like, he's a genuinely awful boyfriend, a genuinely awful person um, through the whole movie, and that just kind of tops it off. But let's talk about trauma for a second, uh, Alan and Jer. I mean, okay. uh, the the plot goes that her that Skeet Ulrich's um, dad messed around with Nev Campbell's mom, and that's why Skeet Ulrich's parents' marriage broke up, right? Mm-hmm. So this is all a kind of act of violence against, against the, the memory of the mother, mother. The trauma he's trying to. Uh, unfreeze the trauma with Nev, but then the less she'll give him, the more he's drawn to killing to get his <laughs> yayas out. Am I like, am I following this sort of correctly? Yeah, that's a good summary. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, I think that's about right. It just seems a little confused. I don't know. Maybe not. But the more importantly, I think it's going to hold up to scrutiny. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the, the better question there, I think um, one I kept asking myself is like, 
every time there was a, a very tense scene until the end, I was kind of like, you know, okay, but what's the plan here? Like, <laughs> you know, he attacks her in the in her house and she escapes and Skeeto, you know, and then he drops the cell phone and he's able to, you know, to 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 throw everybody off the scent. But I'm like, okay, so was that always the plan? Because if you know, if the plan was to just kill her right there, then he doesn't get to have sex with her. It's like, you know, it, it seemed very poorly thought out. You, you know, know it's, like it's, it, it's it's funny with horror movies. Like either it's like and then there were none, like it's Agatha Christie, or it's like all it's usually all one house, you know, but there's not it's not linear. It's not first act, second act, third act. I mean, I guess you can have like an inciting incident where there's a killing, but the killing's usually in the first scene. So it's not stru- they're not structured like normal movies. It's just like we need a kill every 15 minutes, like every reel or so to make sure people keep watching the horror movies. Other than that, have fun with your meta narratives. <laughs> you know, that's why Hitchcock, it's just all fucking math, man. It's all math problems. And he's just, he's just creating suspense with non-narrative. They're not narrative movies. I don't know. Also Sherlock Holmes, like that, they're not narrative. It's just, he's solving a puzzle. It's just math. Matt, yeah. Alan, you know about math. Like, how does this all work, <laughs> I <don't>, man? <laughs> I do uh, know a little bit about math. Um, like, but, horror movies uh, seem like the least the least beholden to, like, emotional truth, or I, I guess they're, like, the easiest... Yeah, they're the easiest to be about something else, I suppose. The easiest metaphors. But they're... I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, what, Jerry, what were some of your favorite lines? Well, um, I was... I, I mentioned a couple earlier, but I think... <laughs> Uh, I really liked a lot of the, oh, I like this part about sexually anorexic. I thought that was kind of <laughs> yeah. like, uh, I'm not really sure what that means, but I do think, cause I don't understand it, but I do think it's a very <laughs> like a clueless moment where they're the two girls, by the way, for like a traumatized girl, she seems to have these occasional like intermittent, like pop, sort of pauses where she's quite normal. Like she's shopping for a party. She's <laughs> tough. She's yeah. tough. The co- that's tough. what the cops said. You know? Tough as nails. Tougher than she um, uh, oh, I really love the It's the Millennium Motives are Incidental. Yeah, I mean, speaking of Alan Hoffman's desensitization via the internet, mm-hmm. my God. The whole thing is like rules. The whole movie is like, okay, rules, rules, rules. This is how it works. And, and laugh, laugh, laugh. These We're breaking. We're, we're following them here, and then until we, we break them. Right. What did you guys think of the line, and take your media muff with you? I mean, as long as we're talking about uh, sex on the end of... Or, or also, wait, who says that? To... I believe it's Courtney Cox. Oh no, it's Rose oh, McGowan it's... to David oh. Arquette about Courtney Cox, calling her a media muff in reference to a microphone muff. You know, a little fluffy that you put so you you won't get. Oh uh, yeah, yes, I'm sure that's mic. what the reference is. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I don't what, know what else muff means. What did you guys? Did you guys notice at the beginning? She says it's like deja vu all over again. Yeah, which is a famous Yogi Berra quote, right? Right. Rest, rest in peace. Yeah, yeah rest this is peace. almost like Shakespeare in love for the for the Halloween set. How about um, you're starting to sound like some Wes Carpenter flick or something? <laughs> of course, combining uh, Wes yes, yes. with John Carpenter. Again, very wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Ha ha, we're in on the joke. Yeah, but um, but again, why it's good is because it actually is scary. And actually, one thing that I actually did get from Wikipedia, uh, it's a quote the sainted Wikipedia real quick um is that hold on it talks about here we go screen marked a change in the genre as it cast already established and successful actors which was considered to have helped to find a wider audience including a significant female viewership but in other words they i mean they cast real actors again like lillard's no slouch you know skeet Ulrich for all of his like strange um johnny deppness thrice removed like you know has some moments rose mcgowan's a goddamn legend you know it's pretty good it's pretty well oh, and you don't even mention like you know at the time you had courtney cox who was on friends right the like, biggest you know TV the biggest TV the show world. in the world yeah. and then you had nev campbell who was kind of america's sweetheart from party of five, party of five. and so you had like you know like you said like real well-known people that you know people would have feelings for and associations with already you know instead of kind of you know, if you go back to like, you know, Wes Craven's breakthrough, right? Friday the 13th, like Johnny Depp's in it, but nobody knew who the hell Johnny Depp was, you know, yep. and then the rest of everybody is, are nobodies, right? They're no. just kind of teenagers. To return to Boogie Nights, that scene in the uh, 1979, 1980, where the colonel uh, is talking to Burt Reynolds about, you know, 
uh, and, and sorry, Floyd Gandoli is trying to pitch amateurs to Burt Reynolds. It's all about uh, empathy, you know. Uh, but 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 Burt Reynolds is on the side of uh, of Wes Craven. He wants like self-aware actors. I don't know. It's really interesting. Um, what were some of the other favorite lines, Alan? Or, uh... Uh, so <laughs> one of the one of the ones like um, the when you talk about the the kind of generational animosity in this is is the line from Winkler um you know who you know I think perfectly cast um you know <laughs> like he was talking to the kids who were running through the, the halls in the mass he's like you make me so sick your entire panic inducing thieving whoring generation disgusts wow. me. <laughs> it's like you know it's it's like everything all wrapped in one I, I think that's was, Wes Craven's microphone right I mean isn't that yeah you I, I think that that's right. I think there's something he's saying something, you know, although he seemed like a, um, from everything I've read, he was like a very, you know, hip. nice, like hip guy, right? Like exactly like with it, not. So he's making fun of, sorry. So he's making fun of the, like, so that's the right. closing of the American mind, you know, he's making fun <laughs> of the conservative. Oh my Chic- God. You're in Chicago. <laughs> no. Alan, you, who's that guy? What's his name? Bloom, right? Alan oh. Bloom. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, no, I think that that's right. I think that he's saying something about like, you know, he's lampooning the kids these days thing, right? With that. But I still think it's a pretty well delivered line, you know, whoring, thieving, panic inducing. So one interesting thing about this is I was about to ask, is it told from an old man's perspective or a teenager's perspective? So Wes Craven was born in 1939. Movie is 1996. Uh, someone's who's better at math. What does that make him when he, when he makes the movie? 39 to 96. Uh, 57? 57 or 67. One of those, either of those. Kevin Williamson, on the other hand, was born in uh, 1965. So even I can do that when he's 31. So, uh, you know, which is the teenager by these standards. So I think, I, 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 you know, from a filmic perspective, I think it's this melding of a teenage, knowing, Tarantino, wink-wink, young, vibrant, uh, David Foster Wallace, everything he's fighting against, but is a part of script told by this master of the very thing that the script is making fun of. I mean, that's why it actually is scary is because Wes, Wes Craven can deliver the scares and that why it's, that's why it's actually smart because Kevin Williams is actually smart. I mean, that's, you know, that's I think you're right. Thing. No, I think that, that, that that's that's right. Like it could have very easily have veered into too much parody, too mm-hmm. much wink wink. Um, but because, you know, Craven um is at the helm, he can inject some genuinely scary moments into it. Um I don't know if you guys felt the same way, but the there was the scene where Nev Campbell's running away and you know, after the party and she gets into the she gets into the cop car. And she's like looking for the keys mm. and the killer standing outside and he taps the window with the knife and then mm. shows her the keys. Mm. I thought that was that whole thing was a genuinely creepy, like in a in a mm. way that yeah. I did not expect. Well, it's like any um, any bad guy, just like bring it down a notch, like speak really quietly, you know, like right. the little, little keys are way scarier than a gun. How about that cool door? I think he opens the it's such a, a hatchback. Like, you know, right. It was a, so he's like he's like tricking so, her with the doors in the front. Wa- and a wagoneer. It was like a jeep wagoneer. So know, that, California. That God love wasp, California. Waspy California. Uh, uh, push cart. We live, it's a great, it's a great goddamn state we live in. Where's um? By the way, um, when should we have our Rose McGowan uh, bow down? Do you want to do it now or at the end of the podcast? How do how do we feel? Let's let's get into it. I had legitimately forgotten she was in the film. I, I remembered Courtney Cox. I remembered, you know, Nev Campbell. I remembered Skeet. I remembered Lillard. When she came on film, my first reaction was like, who the hell is that? My second reaction was like, oh, my God, it's Rose McGowan. I'm so excited. I mean, <laughs> what do we do with her? She's like a, a she's a Betty Davis. She's a she's fast talking. She's bubbly. She I mean, like, can we talk about um tits like are we la- yeah, like, like you know and and blonde versus brunette and the gwen stefani pants versus the kind of like night how, how about that exposed midriff on like her big day when she oh, knew the media God would be there she, she's wearing like a, a football jersey with an exposed midriff and then at the party like i know it's done to death but like you know she opens the door and her like her actual nipples are just sticking out what it's the like fuck is that that's, i mean she I went it's... to the fridge before the take and went to it i mean like that's not obviously by accident you know like. no that's like i think that's again you know 
lampooning or, you know, saying something about our obsession with like, you know, in, in like, you know, four minutes before she had talked about how, you know, people like Jamie Lee Curtis because she had great tits. Like, it's like, it's all part of that meta narrative. And then, you know, in that same scene, she's wearing, you know, she's wearing this mini skirt with basically a bullseye on it. You know, it's like this whole, I don't remember know, that. Well, she's being played as a, as a type. Um, but she's also very like, you know, with it and hip and, and all those things. So it's, well, and she, I mean, let's talk about her death scene. I mean, she's killed because her tits are too big. Right. And she can't get out of the dog door. The fucking, I mean, Charlie has a grander exit than Rose McGowan. For God's sakes. Are we sure that a, that a garage door opener would do that. I'm not exactly sure that 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 would actually. I'm not a family man, but I'm. I'm thinking the the 90s garage door couldn't do that. There's not enough torque. (laughs) That's what I'm thinking. Also, and then again, this is just one of those, you know, questions of like uh, a continuity or whatnot. She's in the, she's in the garage, right? Right. Getting the beer because Matthew Lillard sent her to get the beer Basically, so that she could get killed, it was right. like she was sent away. The door closes, and you see the whole door closing. So clearly, somebody from the other side of the door is closing, right. closing, and then it locks. And then all of a sudden, the killer's in the garage. Like, how did he get into the garage? <laughs> she doesn't open the door. She can't because it's no, locked. No, they're, they're two killers. So you're saying that Matthew Lillard's the one that closed the door behind her while yeah, the other guy while hiding. Skeet is in the garage. All right, because I kind of was had this one like, wait, how did he get there? No, I mean, honestly, I will say that is the one thing I really, really, really remember from Scream. It's like, okay, this is a new idea for a bad guy. It's two bad guys. And because they're wearing a mask, they can be two plays at the same time. Like, I'd never really seen that before. I don't know. Maybe I maybe I misremembered. Um, Guys, let's take another brief musical interlude and we'll we'll wrap up here. Uh, As ever, this has been a... Really fantastic uh, hour of everyone's life. Um, we'll be right back on the Great Basics. Um, anything? Any final words on on Scream? Uh, this it was it was really good, right? It held up. I I really loved it. What do you think? So I thought. So I've watched it now twice. Um, I've rewatched it twice. And the first time I was kind of like, you know, the acting's not that great, and mm. it's okay. but then I I warmed to it. Um, I really like how it just kind of dives into the action. There's no credit sequence, which is you know a little bit. I mean. I would say, you know, kind of a little bit ahead of its time, right? You know, like there's just the 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 title card splashes, and then all of a sudden the phone's ringing, and we're in Drew Barrymore's house, um, and like there's a lot of really good suspense. There's some of it tries to be too clever by half, um, but I do think it I do think it held it holds up. You know, not being a scary movie aficionado, I think it holds up probably better than any of the other you know movies from that era um, would. What about you guys? Jared, what do you think? Can I have the question again? <laughs> uh, I was going to say, I was gonna say something smart. I was going to say something October smart. Yeah. Sorry, I, was, I was applying for a credit card. I, I, uh, <laughs> I was going to say something smart about Serial, the podcast, and nostalgia, and I just lost, I lost it. But right. well, we'll come back to you on the next episode in, uh, in a month. <laughs> What did you think of the movie, man? Did you like it? Did you not like it? No, I I liked it, actually. I really liked it. Because I've spent, if anyone um, has been listening to the unpublished episode 66, (laughs) 67, 68, 69, 
I've been working on and have, and have, and have temporarily set aside a horror script. Uh, and so I've been thinking a lot about horror lately, and, and, and I, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. It checks off all the boxes. It has its little tidy cleanup. It's great. It's great. What would, uh, what would Zizek say about it? Yeah. I think um, he would say, this is life. It's all a great big movie, but you can't pick your genre. <laughs> <laughs> this has been The Great Debasers. Uh, I'm Will Silicon from Studio South. I'm Jeremy Phillip Galen from Studio North. And this is Alan Hoffman from Studio Midwest. Thanks Signing for in. having me, guys. <laughs> uh, love you guys. Um, we'll do it again soon. Rushmore, you know, in next year. In and if anyone Rushmore, has connections to Sirius Radio, we would do this every day. Next really. year, may we all be free. <laughs> yeah, let's look at what's going on. Yeah, there's like a Gimlet article somewhere that I saw. Do you guys listen to Startup at all? You guys listen to that? I've heard about it. Yeah, it's like this guy like doing a podcast about doing a podcast, but it's really good. It's basically about like a small business owner. It's all right. Um, uh, okay, we're well, we'll talking about like Tony Kornheiser and uh, you know Brandon Sinellis <laughs> off the air, <clears throat> but um, but I love you guys and uh, I'm thrilled to be talking to you. I uh, love the audience as well, uh, primarily obviously. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll talk soon. Ciao. Bye-bye. <laughs> Stenches in the air, the funk of 40,000 years, and grisly goons from every tomb are closing in to seal your doom. And though you fight to stay alive, your body starts to shiver, for no mere mortal can resist the evil of the thriller. Ha 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 